the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com. Or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. We are ready to celebrate on this uh, Sunday evening. Glad you're along with us. Sophia turned us off. I did? Yeah. I didn't mean to turn us off. Um, uh, don't show us as being turned off. But anyway, we are back. Thanks, folks, for joining us for the Bible Live. Sophie, this is our, can you hear me? I hear you great. Okay. I can even see you. Uh, okay, yeah. That, I have that distinct advantage over our listeners tonight. Uh, <clears throat> handsome fellow that you are and uh, all that just adds to the, the allure of the... Um, the uh, the Jacob we all know and love. Jacob is with us. Uh, we're going tonight. We're going to depend on him pretty heavily because I am uh, I'm very interested in our theme tonight from the point of view, uh, the Hebrew point of view, from the Jewish point of view. Uh, I'm wondering what kind of uh, light could be shed on the book of the Revelation. That's where we are tonight. The last program, the last reading from the scriptures, our our sixteenth time. Uh, to go and, and uh, read through and study through the scriptures all the way from Genesis to uh, Revelation. And tonight, we, uh, we, this past week, our focus was on, uh, well, we read several books from the Hebrew scriptures, the final uh, two books, Zechariah and Malachi. Uh, and we have some uh, questions, and we could comment on those as well. But uh, our focus is going to be on this final book of the New Testament called the book of the Revelation. And it's been, uh, Jacob's going to give us a little bit of a historical uh, overview of, of how the book, it, it, it kind of had a rocky uh, beginning, kind of, it, it was accepted as part of the of the uh, New Testament canon, and later on it was rejected and accepted, and there were people back and forth on it uh, as a book. I, I don't have a dog in the fight, really, in, in reality, it, it's... Uh, now accepted as a, a part of uh, the scriptures that God ordained, that God inspired these to bring them to us and to teach to us. Uh, we could talk a little bit about why, why, what books made the cut and why they made the cut and uh, a little bit of some of the the uh, 
the reasons that we have the books that we have today in in the Bible. But the book of the Revelation to me is a uh, it's valuable. It, it's it's Christ. It's God honoring, Christ honoring. Uh, there's nothing in there that that scandalizes me or anything. Uh, th- now I am a little concerned as far as the book of the Revelation goes that it seems like we've kind of gotten this obsession uh, over the last ten or twenty years. Uh, uh, a little bit of an obsession with the idea of the end times, um, you know, trying to get down, nail down all the details of how it's going to happen and what's going to happen and who's going to be uh, the Antichrist and who's going to be this one and this. Is it before pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation and all these questions of, of end times type questions? And we, we can talk about that tonight from the book of the Revelation. I don't. I don't think John wrote it necessarily with that in mind. There, there, there's a passage clearly. He talks about, I'm going to show you now things that are, will happen that, uh, that are going to be in the future and so on. But I'm not sure the whole book was written so that no one would understand it for 2,000 years. That's basically my thought, that he wrote it, that people of that era, that time, uh, he wrote it to them, and that they would understand clearly what he was saying uh, in in uh, the passages now, a lot of Old Testament language, a lot of what they call apocalyptic language, um, uh, kind of uh, views and in, 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 uh, language and, and visions that come from, from pro- most probably from the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew world. These, these were fairly common, and I'm hoping Jacob, you can help us. With a lot of those, the the seven scrolls, the seven uh, trumpets, the seven—I mean, the seven bowls—and then the seven trumpets and these things. What what would those signify? What would those mean to uh, a, a Jewish or Hebrew reader of the first century? And remember, of course, the author is John, the youngest, uh, uh, most probably the youngest of the twelve disciples, those who followed Jesus most closely in the New Testament. So, um, you know, a, a Jewish man, uh, devoutly a practicing Jewish person. So uh, I think the, the language would probably be tinted with that understanding, with that, uh, with that background. Maybe you can help us tonight with that, Jacob. Okay. Anyway, uh, welcome, folks. Welcome aboard. Hi. Welcome. Well, let's get started. Uh, and tonight's, I guess tonight's revelation from everything you're saying. Huh? I guess tonight is Revelation. For, yeah, yeah, Revelation, probably. Mm-hmm. We got a few passages uh, from Zechariah Malachi. Yeah, but that stuff interferes with what we want to talk about. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I would like to, I know this is a, always a hotly debated topic, a lot uh-huh. of people with opinions. So I would encourage anybody that wants to call and discuss and correct us in, uh, in uh, Revelation to please have at it. I am very open to that. 340-9585. 340-9585. That's our line here. I guess you have to throw in 210 as the area you code. You do. You have to dial 210. 210-340-9585. We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to comment or have a question. Uh, not only about the book of the Revelation, uh, I- any of the passages, anything about the Bible, uh, about this whole concept of knowing God. I mean, that is the central theme, I, I think, of the scriptures is that a God calling uh, each of us as human beings to a relationship with himself and to honor him, to live for him and to uh, be a part of the people of God is uh, that he is gathering unto himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. 
Uh, and so um, you have any question about any aspect of the scriptures or you know, spiritual, the spiritual dimension of life that God calls us to, uh, love to hear from you. Give us a call, 340-9585 with the area code 210. Well, uh, let's give a few questions, just kind of uh, prime the pump a little bit out there, Jacob. From, from the Psalms, we read uh, Psalm 139, which is uh, actually that Psalm is perhaps my favorite in, in, the, in the scriptures. Uh, it's a very interesting Psalm. I've talked to a pastor, uh, well, actually a chaplain this week out at Lackland Air Force Base who is preparing a sermon uh, based on Psalm 139, and he and I discussed it uh, in his office kind of at length and back and forth. It, it's a fascinating psalm, Jacob. I don't know if you've ever... Do you remember that psalm? Is that is that psalm as well-known in the Hebrew world as... Uh, what's it about? Uh, it, it's the one that uh, starts out where... Let me see. Um, oh. oh, Lord, you know me when I rise up and when I uh, lie down. you before me and behind me, and you... Uh, you see, you think of me, the number of your thoughts of me. It's, it starts out with this tremendous passage about how God's love surrounds us uh, before and after, and He has us in His hand. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I ascend to Sheol, to the grave, you are there, and so on. It, it, it's this beautiful, beautiful passage about God's love and His mercy and His watch care over our lives. And then all of a sudden, it, it, and in kind of a sudden way, it breaks into this uh, very, almost a harsh uh, um, passage about God's uh, enemies. Oh, Lord, give me victory over your enemies, you know, uh, kind of uh, destroy your enemies, Lord. Do not I hate those that hate you. And so, so it goes into a, a pretty, from this beautiful uh, passage about God's love and mercy and forgiveness and so on, it moves on then to this about uh, judgment, asking God to judge uh, the, um, the those who are his enemies. Let me see if I can find that. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. It seems all of that's so beautiful about God's grace and his love toward us. And, and then he says, um, in verse 19, then it breaks away from that kind of a pattern. He says, oh, God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. So for your enemies are my enemies. And so, wow, it just it kind of moves from the. The glorious and, and the and the loving and the beautiful aspects of God's care into this uh, this uh, kind of a harangue or kind of a reaction toward those who oppose God and, and hate God. And, and uh, uh, is your complaint that uh, they should not have the mercy verses in the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those mercy verses they get in the way. No, and then he breaks away from that. Uh. Yes, I hate even them with total hatred. Your enemies are my enemies. And then the last two verses, he comes back and he says. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So he, uh, there's, there's a pattern there, a thought that, that to me is very intriguing in Psalm. I've always found that uh, interesting, that beautiful beginning of worship and adoration of God and then that reaction against God's enemies and those who oppose him uh, and then coming back to... Well, Lord, search me. It's kind of like uh, 
it seems like if I got into the mindset of the of the of the um, psalmist there that he starts out identifying with this great, wonderful, loving God, and and the more he identifies with God, in a sense, then the more he reacts against sin and against those who oppose God, and 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 uh, it, it it creates an opposing. You know, he loves God, his laws, his his righteousness, his justice, and all of a sudden it brings up in him this this kind of righteous, maybe righteous indignation of of wickedness and sin and unrighteousness and injustice. And he, and he breaks into that pattern and all of a sudden he calls and remembers that, Hey, you know what? I'm a sinner too. You know, and I, I sometimes fail God and I and search me. And then he comes back to, okay, Lord, search me. Now that we've talked about your, search me. Am I among them? Do you know my heart? See, are there any wicked thoughts in me? So it seems like there's a pattern there of re, kind of, I can kind of follow a little bit of a mindset there the, as the psalmist goes through the psalm. But anyway, it's, it's an intriguing psalm for me. We read that this week. The, <laughs> and uh, let me ask you a question from it, folks. It's Psalm 139, 17 and se- uh, verses 17 and 18. What is it that outnumbers the grains of sand on the beaches of the world? There's something here he mentions that, that outnumbers the grains of sand on the beaches, which, you know, obviously is going to be a huge, huge number. What is it that outnumbers the, the grains of sand? I, I, that's very intriguing. Very Well, in fact, it's, it's a coded meaning. All right. I, thought, I figured it is. Mm-hmm. Every, the, the whole book is a coded meaning, I think, unless you're Jewish. And it's just very crystal clear, right? Well, people don't know unless somebody tells them. I wouldn't know unless somebody told me. All right. Well, we're going to look at that. What is the, Maybe we can uncrack the code a little bit there in the meaning. Um, let's go to the Proverbs. We read a number of those as well toward the end. Um, let's... Um, Ooh, I like the Proverbs, uh, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 30, Proverbs 30, verses 24 through 28. What four animals is, are mentioned in, Psalm, in Proverbs 30? I keep saying Psalm. Proverbs 30, what four animals are small but unusually wise? They are small creatures. Which number is that? Uh, number three in the Proverbs. No, no, I'm sorry. Well, it says three. It's actually uh, number eight. <laughs> But uh, the, the numbering is off there for some reason or other. What four animals are small but unusually wise? Some of those we could guess at. Uh, some of them I would never guess. So uh, I guess uh, only Solomon knew about these animals in, the, in this sense, right? He, he was quite the uh, student of life. So there's a question from the Proverbs. Let's go uh, to Zechariah. When Messiah returns, according to the book of uh, Zechariah now, this prophet who wrote 400 years or so before uh, uh, Messiah's coming, or at least uh, Jesus of Nazareth, when Messiah returns, he says, his feet will stand on what mountain? And that mountain is just east of Jerusalem. What mountain is it? on which Messiah will stand. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit. When when was that or when will that be um, uh, fulfilled, that particular prophecy? And then from the book of Malachi, mm, there's a lot of... The priests in the time of Malachi were accepting unworthy or defiled sacrifices. And what made them unworthy? Let's let's look at that, and we can. That's 
should be one that folks. What, what number know. is that? That's number two under Malachi. The priests in the time of Malachi were accepting unworthy or defiled sacrifices. Now remember, Malachi wrote <coughs> uh, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi were the three prophets who were post-exile. They wrote and they ministered to the people of Israel after the return from Babylon, the return the from the seventy years of exile, and so. Um, they are ministering to this people, returning. They're uh, reminding them of who they are uh, as part of God's people. They're, they're calling as, as uh, the people of Israel and so on. A- and Malachi here is um, speaking into the, the religious aspect, the worship aspect of the, of the nation. He said that the priests uh, were accepting unworthy or defiled sacrifices. And our question is, what made them unworthy? You can look in chapter 1. Verses 7 and 8, uh, verses 13 and 14, right there at the beginning of the book. Now we get to the book of the Revelation. And let me just turn that. Jacob, I bet you've got a few that that you have found intriguing and um, interesting to you from uh, linguistic Hebrew, the context, the Hebrew context, culture, history, and so on. Uh, What what do you have there for us? Well, um, uh, there are some interesting ones. Um, You're... uh, Okay, your number, uh, oh gosh, which one is it? I'm looking for it. Um, who, uh, <laughs> I'm, I had it all marked out. Is it here. a who question? No, it's, oh. a, it's a what question. A what question, okay. Oh, no. Let's see. Oh, the, uh, I want to, I'm looking for the number. It says the 144,000. Yes, uh, I got that one. While you're looking for that, I, I will mention that the book of the Revelation is interesting in one sense. And one of the one of the distinctives of the book, it is the only book in the Bible uh, that promises something very specific to the one who reads it to God's people, the one who reads it to the church, and those who hear and obey what it says. In other words, it's the only one that gives a that offers. And, and I don't know how distinctive. I guess there's always kind of an implicit, uh, kind of an unspoken blessing to people who read and understand and obey God's word but this book uh, explicitly says uh, there's a blessing promise to those who read it to the church and those who hear and obey what it says so um, that's in chapter 1 verse 3 so it is uh, appropriate and good that we study this book according to the book itself at least there's a a blessing promised from reading uh, this book uh, to the reader and to the one who receive it who hear it and obey it from the book of the Revelation. Did you find your 100? Yeah, well, no, but let's do. start with your... There's a reason I did it in this order. Okay. Let's do your number 26. Okay. Wow, going down to the end, kind of. What, mm-hmm. what tree... <laughs> that's an interesting question, is right. What tree grows, according to uh, th- this passage, this vision that John has? Uh, uh, the Apostle John is exiled to the Isle of Pat- Patmos, uh, down uh, south of Crete, I guess it is, out in the Mediterranean. And uh, he has these visions. That's where the book comes to us from, from that experience that he has. And he says, what tree grows in the center of the New Jerusalem? As John uh, describes it to us, uh, the tree grows in the center of the New Jerusalem that we haven't seen since the Garden of Eden. Back in the, <laughs> we'll be reading about it next week, this coming week in the book of the Genesis. Uh, what book grow? I'm sorry. What tree grows in the center of the New Jerusalem 
that we haven't seen the tree as that that is we haven't seen this tree since the garden of eden in chapter 22 verse 2 of the book of revelation so you can find that we'll answer that question for us any of these questions you find yourself intrigued you'd like to give us an answer and uh uh, call in and be a part of the program. We'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. We'd love to hear Give Get your answer to the scriptures, and maybe then you have a question that you'd like to give as well uh, and uh, talk a little bit about these passages from the book of books. What else, Jacob? Well, uh, you're number 10 about the uh, yeah. in Revelation chapter 4. Who or what? is represented by the 24 elders. I like that one, too, as well. Mm-hmm. 24 elders. Uh, all these numbers in the scriptures, it seems like they always mean something. Uh, they're reference. Of the, they seem to tend to use the same numbers over and again. There's 3, there's 7, there's 12, there's 40. I uh, can't think of any others besides that, actually. But they, they tend to show up uh, quite often. In Revelation chapter 4, who or what is represented by the 24 elders? Do you agree with the answer that's there? Uh, Maybe it, not. It, it could be. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, it could be. It's it's possible. Okay. All right, just get one more, or, or do well, you, yeah, you have another one? Well, it's not really written here. That's why I made it. Oh, that's myself. why you, okay. So it's in uh, chapter 7, verse 4. Uh-huh. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh list the hundred list hundred and forty four thousand. That's yes. And there's something wrong with it. What's wrong with it? It it's a really technical question, so we're open to any answer. And and, and what's wrong? What that is interesting. I'm, I'm kind of surprised I don't have a, a question in here about that. Because well, I, I was too. Also, I was kind of surprised you don't have a question about six six six. Yeah, that too. These numbers. There's a couple of other numbers there that that uh, are special. And why? So it talks about the hundred and forty-four thousand. What passage was that in, Jacob? What chapter? Uh, chapter seven, verse four through eight. And then uh, with the six six six, that's somewhere else. The number of the Antichrist, I, get, I think it was, right? Mm-hmm. And Something one, like that. Maybe you can give us some thoughts about that. I've heard all kinds of theories about that. <coughs> uh, I have a friend of mine who uh, I, I host a radio program to Native Americans. Oh, yeah. Those are North America. And I was uh, doing some recording and some production work on that program um, this past week. And, and he was giving me a, a phone number, I think, or an address. Uh, you know, to send some information to them. Mm-hmm. And part of the address was 666. And he wouldn't even say it like that. He, got, he, he avoided the saying 666. He, what, why is that? Uh, he, he, well, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, almost this, it's almost this superstitious idea of that. It's taking on a life of itself. When the, when the numbers 666 are put together in any, in any format... People tend to kind of dance. Well, you know, and that's it. amazing to me. Cause that's in chapter 13, verse 18. 13, 18. Uh-huh. And if you read what it says, it can't possibly be a simple 666. Can't possibly be. Listen, have you read exactly what it says? No, no, go ahead. All right. You got it right there? Yeah, 13, uh, 18. I'm getting to it right now. It myself. says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. 
For the number is that of a man, and the number is 666. Well, if it was so easy to have 666, you don't need wisdom, you don't need to calculate. So it can't possibly be 666. Uh, what do you mean? It can't. Be, you mean the answer itself can't be six yeah. six, or you're saying the important thing is not the numbers themselves, but the, what it means. Right. This okay. Because mm-hmm. if it's six six six, you don't need wisdom, and you sure don't need to calculate. There it is, six six six. But note uh, the one with understanding. This version says, uh-huh. "Solve the meaning of the number of the beast, uh-huh. for it is the number of a man. His number is six six six." And then the very next verse goes on to say, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Hmm, that's intriguing. His name and his father's name. I, I don't know if you, that jumps out at you or not. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. And this great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God. Do you so know who... Uh, 144,000. When, when the Protestant Reformation began, and uh, the only survivor, there was a group called, called the White Horse Inn. And they would get you together, and they were made up of several people you've heard of, you know. And uh, they were the originators of the Reformation. And when they first, and when King James allowed them to first put a Bible out, uh, they actually did a second Bible with some commentary on the sides and the margin. And who they said was the, uh, in 1318, was the beast, uh, the 666 number, was the Pope. (laughs) Well, there are still some folks who look at that, you know, this powerful earthly uh kingdom the riches and you know i i i don't know that's that's a very um well, it's got to say controversial of course because uh well, it was just he is the, revered just yeah, by so very that. many but uh, you know i um i don't know I, I of course i'm looking to you a lot tonight well, let's to all of this imagery of the idea of uh, well, all between 230 yeah. and 240 verses uh-huh. in the book of Revelation come from Daniel, uh, some from Joel, Zechariah, Ezekiel. Wow, what word of God speak? There we go. go ahead with your well, thoughts. I was going to say, at any rate, the point is, I don't know how a person, and I know there's all kinds of explanations, but I don't know how a person understands it unless they know what those verses meant from the books they were taken from. And you have to understand them, I think, and then understand what the interrelationship of the chosen verses are. And I, I have not seen that done uh, by people who read all the books explaining Revelation. Let's try to look at that, some of that tonight. And particularly, you have these, uh, the, in these chapters, you have these seven... Uh, uh, bowls, these seven trumpets, these seven scrolls, this imagery there. I want us to talk about that when we come back. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. 
Have you seen a family divided over property after losing a loved one? Have you known someone who spent months or years fighting in court to receive the property that was left to them? Unfortunately, I often see families fighting in probate court. Wouldn't you like to avoid this situation? I'm Charlie Weisinger, board-certified estate planning attorney with Weisinger Law Firm. At Weisinger Law Firm, we can help you put a plan in place that avoids probate so your loved ones never have to set foot in a cold courtroom. Many times that plan includes a living trust. Let my team help you achieve peace through planning to ensure your family won't be stuck fighting it out in court. Just call 210-308-0800 and we'll help you get a plan in place. We're located just north of San Antonio in Selma, Texas. So call me, Charlie Weisinger, at 210-308-0800. That's 210-308-0800 or weisingerlawfirm.com. Weisinger Law Firm, peace through for townhall.com. Suburbicon, the prestigious new movie release from director George Clooney, features Matt Damon and Julianne Moore with a screenplay co-written by the Oscar-winning Coen brothers. The film opened with high hopes on more than 2,000 screens across the country, but it proved to be a commercial disaster with just $2.8 million on opening weekend. Even more shocking, Suburbicon got a dismal D-minus grade from CinemaScore. Why the negative response? It's billed as an expose of white privilege, depicting a fictional suburb in 1959 that reacts to its first black family with disgusting violence and bigotry, while highlighting corruption, adultery, and murder by the seemingly bland middle-class family at the center of the dark comedy. Actually, the public is tired of Hollywood plutocrats who look down on the hard-working, decent suburban lives that many citizens live and loathes the condescending assumption that the American dream has become the American nightmare. I'm Michael Medvey. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Eight, right? I, I'm so sorry. I did not have our buttons pushed. Uh, we we are back, folks. Thanking you for joining us, and uh, we're taking a look now at that apocalyptic uh, Hebrew type uh, language from the Hebrew Scriptures. A lot of it comes from 
uh, in the book of the Revelation. The early chapters are very Christ-centric. Uh, it's, it's Jesus speaks, I am the um, speaking, and it, it's, it's a kind of a, an oratory, a praise to Messiah, culminating with the big uh, chapter 5, which is uh, the choirs of heaven uh, singing and, and the glory and the praise of Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior. And then it moves into this language about the future. The si it starts off with the, the, the six seals that the, the Messiah breaks. The Lamb breaks the six seals. The, John weeps because no one is found to open the seals. And um, so the Messiah does it. So you have these six seals. Later on, then you come up, you have these... And what do seals eat? Fish. <laughs> he had six seals. The seals, well, yeah, okay. They were these seal, sealing these six scrolls, right? Or uh, the seven scrolls, I guess it was. Well, here, here's some of the stuff. You know, as you said at the beginning, Revelation has been in and out of the Bible. In fact, the first group of scholars uh, that was putting the Bible together in the first up to 300 or so, they had the book. Uh, however, they did not include them as part of the Bible. And even Jerome, uh, who is one of the greatest scholars that's really ever lived, when he prepared his Bible, the Jerome Bible, mm -hmm. uh, which was ultimately called the Vulgate, means vulgar tongue or common, mm -hmm. uh, he listed... In Latin, I guess it was, right? It is Latin, yeah, mm -hmm. Vulgate. Uh -huh. And it just means the common language. But what he did, he even put a little note by it and said... Uh, he would not include it and he, and because he could never find it in Hebrew. Now, and so uh, it, when, it got, when the Vulgate got completed and they gave it to Rome, they translated it several more times and there were several different versions that came out. But Jerome did a fine job. And you can get a, still get a copy, and he really did do a fine job. But uh, here's what happens. Let me show now you. someone in there in the historical uh, uh, the way things played out. There was one early scholar who claimed to have not only seen, but read... Uh, Origin. The, was it the, just the book of the Revelation or no. the entire New no. Testament? Origin uh, wrote a five-volume set, and I have read them. Uh -huh. And uh, he actually said that he read all of the New Testament in Hebrew. Hmm. And, of course, shortly thereafter, there was no Hebrew. In fact, I mentioned to you before the, before the show started... In the year 400 A.D., the New Testament was in over 500 <coughs> languages. Goodness. But 100 years later, in the year 500, it was down to one, just Latin. So they were successful in that the That was intentional. Uh, of course, of course. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, because uh, the Roman Church wanted you to be educated and only know the Bible in Latin. But here's something that's interesting. Now, I have noticed that when I read this. And the first time I ever read this is, uh, and you mentioned the Alpha and the Omega. Yes. Well, look, uh, look at verse, verse 1, I mean, chapter 1, verse 8. Okay. And uh, see where it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, uh, says the Lord God. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting because Lord God actually has a very definite Jewish meaning. The first time it appears is in chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis. Interesting. Uh -huh. Up until that time, it's just God or Elohim. Uh, Elohim doesn't mean there's a lot of gods. What it means is when a, there are two ways to write plural in Hebrew. One is M, ending in an M, which mm -hmm. is plural. Mm -hmm. So, And in the book of Revelation, you'll see that there'll be a new Jerusalem appearing. 
Remember that? Mm -hmm. And what it's really saying is because it's really not just Jerusalem. If we were going to do it literally in English, we'd say Jerusalems. There's always been two. There's a physical, there's a spiritual. That's so funny. That's an interesting... Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about in his one of his science fiction books. Oh. A lot of people don't know that he wrote science fiction. There were three volumes, three books in the science fiction uh, trilogy. And one of them is, uh, it's called, the last, the third one is called, um, the, the um, oh, come on, come on, Sophie, you can think of it. I'll get it in a moment. But it talks about the idea of there's always two, there's always two Englands. There's always two Americas. Yeah. There's the, 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 the base and the common, and the, the, you know, the selfish, the man-centered, the humanistic, mm -hmm. you know, and there's the spiritual England. There's a, uh, the heart, the, sure. and the spiritual America. There's a spiritual aspect, and he mentions that dual aspect. I wonder if, of course, he was a, a uh, professor of uh, mythologies and a professor of early uh, language manuscripts, and so on. He may have gotten some of that. Well, uh, yeah, he probably did. He was a very educated guy. But uh, and what's fascinating, even today, to Jerusalem, so, huh? yeah, even today, the Orthodox Jews, especially, will come back and say w there will be a new Jerusalem that just appears. So they, what's in here is exactly a Jewish idea. <laughs> That's fascinating. The name of that book, by the the title, is uh, the hideous strength, oh, which yeah. is it really is, uh, folks. If you haven't read C.S. Lewis, uh, any of his books. Uh, uh, the Screw Tape Letters, the Narnia Chronicles for Children, and so on. Many others, the Three Loves, uh, uh, bas not basic Christianity, but um, mm, I've forgotten the, the title. But th there's so many great books. In, but uh, this uh, this uh, uh, science fiction trilogy is quite interesting. Uh, uh, Out of the Silent Planet, uh, Paralandra, which is talking about Venus, his uh, voyage to Venus, and then uh, that hideous strength. Intriguing because in that in that particular book. Um, Merlin, this uh, mytholo mythological character, this sorcerer from the time of uh, of uh, Camelot, you know, and so on. Uh, Merlin appears, uh, is brought back from the dead in the England, in modern day England, and it's a, uh, oh, it's it's got a lot That'd be of King Arthur, right? Yeah. King Arthur's. Did you know of. where uh, King Arthur kept his camels? Where he kept his what? Camels. He had camels. Yeah, he kept them in a Camelot. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. Okay, well, okay, all right. Well, listen, here's some things. Anyway, the reason you mentioned origin, and indeed he says he read everything in Hebrew, and that was roughly between, let's say, 250, 300, somewhere in there. So that's early on. Hmm. And I have read the books, and uh, with, uh, there's a lot of things I'd like to say, but I'll stick to the point. So <laughs> he said... Uh, <laughs> One of the first times in your life you've ever stuck to the plan. Well, no, no, it's, it's just that I have the multiplicity of points. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but anyway, look at chapter... And not all of them are on your head. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, what's, yeah. That, what's that running around your leg? Yeah. What's that buzzing around your head? Uh, anyway, uh, the, uh, look at one uh, chapter 1, verse 8. <laughs> and it says, I'm the uh, Alpha and Omega. Right, okay. Now, that's one of the verses that has always struck me as not that it supported what Origen said about reading it in Hebrew mm -hmm. because of the language. Now, I want to read something to you, and I'm going to show you how it works. If I use the Greek alphabet, like you know, in English it's A to Z, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the alphabet in Greek is Alpha Omega, right? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Well, I even looked in one of the 
so-called Messianic Jewish Christian Bibles today, mm -hmm. and they were using the first letter from the Hebrew and the last letter of Hebrew. That Aleph and... Tav. Okay. Now, that cannot be correct either. Okay. That cannot be correct, and this cannot be correct, and I'm going to show you why, which kind of supports what I remember reading in Origin. Uh, my theory is that the guys closest to all the events are the ones that probably knew things the best. The rest of us, only since we're a lot younger, mm -hmm. like kids, we know a bit more than they do, you know. <laughs> all right, so but when you read it, now listen, it says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God. And that com that I mean, has a specific meaning. Mm -hmm. We'll go into that if you want, but listen, look at the rest. Who is and who was and who is to come. You see that? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Almighty that, One. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, well. I'm li I stopped it before that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Um, the who is, who was, and who is to come. You see those words? I see them. That's the, more or less the definition of what it's saying Alpha and Omega means. It, that does not mean that in Greek. Alpha and Omega is just an alphabet. Mm -hmm. And if I use only the Hebrew alphabet of the two ending in le last letters, doesn't mean that either. But, hold on, Soapy. All right. Yes. Who is, who was, and who is to come is a very definite Hebrew word. And would you like to know what it is? Dun, yes. Dun, 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 ding. Dun, dun, ding. Yeah, I, I think it I is the Hebrew name of God. It is yud heh vav -Heh. Okay. It's the Hebrew name of God. Now, Let's say... Is that the I am that, for example, God used at the uh, burning bush with Moses? No, Tell them I am? No, that's I no, no, it's not the same, no. Okay. Uh, that's uh, yeah, hey. Okay. Anyway, but uh, it, this is the uh, yod Hey vav Hey. It's four letters. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. So, just by changing a vowel point, his name in Hebrew means uh, I am or I was... I, uh, I is, mm -hmm. and I was, and I am to come. So if what eight should actually say, it should actually say God's name from the Hebrew, then the rest of the sentence is, who is, who was, and who is to come, it would be precisely 100% correct. But by changing it to Alpha and Omega, so somebody recognizes... To Hebrew, I mean to Greek. To Greek, using an alphabet that people would know, destroys the meaning of the sentence because you have now lost God's name in it. Mm -hmm. and well, it still kind of has that name of the beginning and the uh, the, the eternal nature of God. No. Is that what's being I, I, referenced I can't go. I can't go along with okay, that. Okay, all right. Because uh, for me, I, I know that's what it's supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I can say, oh, well, it still has the idea that he lives, for, lives forever and he's in the here right now and all that. Mm -hmm. But it's capturing something else. And go back, and remember I said the word Lord God. Is mm -hmm. it? Is it? Yes, it uh -huh. says the Lord God. Uh -huh. Okay, so the very first time that appears in the Bible is chapter, chapter 2, verse 7 in Genesis. Genesis. Now, before that, he's always just God or Elohim. Okay? So, he's God, 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 until we get up to 2-7. Then uh -huh. he's Lord God. Which is distinct kind of a meaning? It absolutely, 100%. Bing, he, you won the Cupid doll. Well, what, is, what is the difference between then the uh, Lord God uh, formed man from the dead? There the you ground. go. What is the difference between the okay. Lord God and Elohim? Whenever he uses the word God or Elohim, that's like he's the boss. He's the charger. He's the creator. 
He's the one that does stuff. He's the commander-in-chief, you might say. That's the authoritarian. In the interest, you, you pointed out already, Elohim, the, the plural nature of the word that's with the heme. The, the El- been Elohim kind of is here. actually, in that case, not meaning there's a lot of gods. What it means is different. he has different characteristics. Mm-hmm. So, but when you put the word Lord in front of it, okay, that is his name in Hebrew for his mercy. So when the first time it says it, he says, I, I am the Lord God. Prisoners. Both the creator and charger of everything, mm-hmm. but I'm also merciful. That's what it means from the Hebrew, because the name itself means that. So <laughs> if we read it like this, so it says, I am Yadhe the Hebrew name of God, uh-huh. of the uh, Lord God, who is merciful and also the judge of the world, the creator. And my name means who is, who was, and who shall be. Now the verse starts making sense. All right. Well, there's the, uh, that's the voice of uh, if, I, if a Hebrew person were to read the passage, they go, oh, okay, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, well, let's go on further about some of these things. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, these early chapters, of course, are all, as I said, very Christocentric. There are uh, very messianic-centered, the I, John, am your brother, and, he, and he's talking about Jesus, uh, the lampstands and so on, the message to the churches. Uh, Jesus delivers a message to the seven, uh, these seven churches. And these churches are on uh, what is called the, um, the common way or the, there was a major highway that came uh, across uh, Asia Minor there. And these churches were all on that highway. Uh, they were major cities of the, of the realm of that time. Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis. Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly shove, uh, brotherly love, and then you brotherly have brotherly shove. Yeah, hey, I'm going to shove it, but it's yeah. brotherly, it's you know? brotherly way. Yeah, in the, in the church of Laodicea. Uh. So these were churches they knew about. They were on this uh, the Appian Way. They were on this major highway across the uh, across uh, Greece there, and he delivers these messages to them, which have always been very intriguing. I've heard many many sermons about these different cities and the different times and the different characteristics that they have and uh, we could talk about those of course uh, but then the, it, in chapter 4 it breaks into this time of worship because it's all like I said Christocentric uh, and it's talking about uh, Jesus Christ and the worship it breaks into this time of these these times of worship in chapters 4 and 5 uh, just glorious worship in, in heaven uh, uh, adoring adoration uh, to the Messiah to the Redeemer to the Savior the Lamb uh, of God and um, and then we come upon this scroll in chapter 5. There's a scroll, but no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And uh, John begins to weep bitterly because no one is found worthy to open the scroll. Uh, one of the uh, seven, 24 elders steps forward. These 24 elders we have in our question tonight. Uh, what does that mean, the 24 elders? And he says, uh, Stop weeping, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then uh, a lamb that had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and so on. Yeah, this uh, this beautiful vision and glory. And he takes the scroll, he breaks, opens the seals, and uh, discloses their meaning to the people. In chapter 6, the lamb breaks the first six seals. From there on, then, we have these the, the seven seals, and then we have the... Um, in ending in chapter 8 and then we go to seven scrolls 
uh, that are uh, the angel and the small scroll, the mm, seals and scroll, I guess, is the same thing, right? The, the seals no. close the, no. the scrolls? Yeah, the seal is seals. It's a, it's a sign of the king. Okay. And uh, then you had the seven trumpets in chapter 11. And then there's the seven bowls that come out. To, uh, well, there's an interruption. Then we come into this interruption of this picture of the beast uh, chasing this this uh, harlot in chapter 17 and the fall of Babylon and so on. And then you have these seven, uh, these final s- seven uh, bowls, is it, of judgment uh, that are poured out on the earth. And so you have this this repetition theme of these these this cycle, these these seven this, seven that, seven the other, uh, leading up to the final uh, closing of the human history, of human story, uh, the redemptive plan of God. So uh, what do you make of all of what, what are well, this book these me, scrolls? This me, it's a judgment. Okay. This is the book of judgment. And In every one of those, both both the seals, I mean the scrolls, both the, the, the trumpets, and the, the old, they all have imagery of, of judgment, trumpets, and bowls. Yes, I, I believe this, and you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I believe this is the idea of the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, I've heard it said that he come, the first time he came like a lamb, now he's coming like a lion. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, we have this, the other statement in there that he... All right, somebody's they, correcting they, you already, right? Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, that's something I've always wondered about, th- this imagery. It, do these things mean something to a, to a Hebrew mindset, this idea of, of um, scrolls, you know, these seals that seal, and they were, they were able to be opened and read. And then you have this idea of, of uh, trumpets, mm-hmm. the angels, uh, the, these announcements that the angels mm-hmm. give. And, and Again, you see this idea of a, of a cycle of uh, of uh, of uh, God's blessing and man falling into sin. Then it comes conviction and judgment, and then there's restoration, and then there's. Did you what? Well, did you catch the you verse? Over and over I, again. I think this is. I think as uh, I like to say that uh, the wages of sin is death, mm-hmm. and I think this is payday. Okay, so and that's the idea of this book: is that. Things will wrap up. This isn't just going to go on for eternity and ever. There are these cycles, of course, the well, human experience. there's a experience, verse in here, and you probably know what it's where finish. it says, on his thigh was written. Uh-huh. You know, you know that verse? Yes, uh, the, the uh, rider on the uh, white horse, uh-huh. right? And who would that be? Oh, uh, right off the top of my head. Let's assume it might be Jesus. Just say Jesus, okay. Uh, and it says written on his thigh, right? Uh-huh. Well, nothing is written on his thigh. Okay. What he's wearing is a prayer shawl. And um, and so he's sitting down on the horse. So the base of the hem of the garment is on his thigh. Uh-huh. It's a prayer shawl. And what's on there is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's what it's about. He's, he hasn't got a tattoo. And he wasn't drawing <laughs> on himself. Okay, that's good. So. I guess that's good. <laughs> in the era, living in the era of the tattoo, everybody uh, wears tattoos these days. But, uh, uh, okay, so you're... Yeah, that's in those early chapters. That's the imagery there. But do do scrolls, bowls, and trumpets, is that a, a, a legitimate understanding of those as signifying yes, judgment sure. uh, yeah. it, from from Hebrew imagery? Do we have those? Generally, before? it's the yeah, this entire I remember book. Jeremiah talking about a scroll. Yeah. Did he, uh, the Lord told him to eat a scroll, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. 
thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. He He's instructed to to take a scroll and one of the uh, visions he has, one well, of his messages, look at verse and eat eight. it. Look at chapter 8, verse uh-huh. 1. There you uh-huh. go. The Lamb broke the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Mm-hmm. I always found that fascinating because I didn't realize they used hours and halves. Yeah, well, I've always... The joke, the standing joke uh, uh, among uh, evangelicals in there is where you pause and the preacher says, well, that proves that there'll be no women in heaven. And, and the people, what does it mean? He says, well, there was silence in heaven for about. Oh, heaven. boy. Oh, he got in trouble. I haven't heard that one in a long time. I guess that went out with the uh, the era of, uh, you know, the feminism or so. And no one has told that for a long time. But I remember that from my youth. Uh uh, uh, so-called job, but so there's silence in heaven. That was the, the soapy that said that. <laughs> and I did. I dredged that up from the past somewhere. That's uh, reading that passage about silence in heaven. Yeah, there's this. Uh, there's this time of deep. Uh, where is that chapter? I'm looking for it. Um, is it seven? Where that is, uh, or eight? Uh, I think it's eight. Eight, eight, chapter eight. Uh, uh, oh, I'm, you know what I'm looking at? You can't believe it. I was looking at, in uh, Genesis. So uh, you have this time of silence and this time of awe when the, the lamb breaks the seventh seal and opens it, and then he begins to uh, disclose these these matters. Uh, so, the, And then you have trumpets. So uh, I, I can think of instances in the Old Testament where, where seals and, and scrolls are used. Uh, trumpets, I don't... Uh, the sounding of the trumpets was that also a time of judgment? Do you think? It, it could, yes, it probably could be. Yes. All right. Let's go. Let's bring Esther up. I'm kind of at a standstill here. My in terms of my questions. Let's. Let, I'd like. I'm very interested in what Esther has to say about this. Esther, hello. You're on the line with us. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Hi. I was listening to your program and. I only have one question. I don't have any comment or anything. I only have one question uh, for Jacob, and that is, who are the 24 elders? There, I'm so. intrigued by that as well. It's one of our uh, questions out there. <laughs> thank you, Esther. Appreciate it. Let's, yeah, thank you. Let's talk sure, about bye-bye. Uh, so chapter 4, right? Yes, I believe it is, and it's uh, that the 24 elders. And I think the answer, in some ways, or at least one answer, can be rather... Um, uh, straightforward. I'm kind of be interested in knowing who uh, Esther uh, thinks the 24 elders is are. Is she gone already? I believe she she went ahead and is listening now via the radio. It, of course, 24 obviously is two times 12, and that's one of the uh, that's one of the so-called bing magic numbers. Well, let's just look at it this way. Okay, we're talking about God, heaven, thrones, that kind of stuff, right? Uh huh. Okay, this is how. The Sanhedrin works. The Sanhedrin? Yes. Okay, uh, interesting. Okay. So around the center, let's say there's 12. The oldest, wisest trained people, there's 12. That's the first ring. The uh, second ring going outside are 24. So the first 12 will be one from each tribe. And then the second ring would be 24, two. They'll be a little younger, but probably still very knowledgeable. But there'll be the second ring. There's 24. So it's 12 from each tribe, then two from each tribe. And the last ring is three from each tribe, 36. Now, was that an organizational or yes, structural uh-huh. sure. arrangement? Yeah, sure. So they're wanting us to know this has something to do 
with the 24 would be the second ring. Okay. Uh, I didn't know about that. The, the, tell me again about the, you used the word Sanhedrin. I, I did. I, heard, I have a totally New Testament understanding of Sanhedrin. It was the, the uh, political or society, you know, organizational structure of uh, that Jesus dealt with them, members of the Sanhedrin. He yes, he did. Uh, and it didn't come out well for him. So, no, it didn't work out t- that well at that time. But So you're saying that is an Old Testament Actually, structure. the word Sanhedrin comes from more, more or less the Greek. The word that you'd be familiar with is the name of the government of Israel right now called the Knesset. Uh, that's the same. I mean, that's the same word. Uh-huh. But the one from uh-huh. the Knesset. And if, so the first ring would be 12 from... <coughs> One from each tribe, and and they'd be the probably the el- most elder, and be very educated, very smart, the oldest. God oh, God. Oh, another good half an hour. Well, the, so uh, just to just to mm-hmm. kind of finish that out, so. idea is so that was an organizational or maybe maybe even political structure. Yeah, was second. that could that be the way that? Uh, Moses spoke to the whole nation at times. We'd see him talking to two million people at once. That'd almost be impossible, no, without microphone and so on. Was that the way he communicated to the people Israel, through the elders, through the 12, and then the 24, and that sort of thing? Was that a... When Moses came down the that. mountain, you'll find that he gathered about 70 people. Uh-huh. And he taught those elders. They were through them, they went back to the That's right, yeah. Well, there's our music. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go away. This is The Bible Live, and we're talking about the book of the Revelation here tonight. Give us a call if you'd like, 340-9585. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back. We're discussing tonight with you, and hopefully you'll join us if you'd like. 340-9585 is our phone number. And you can, uh, just like uh, Esther did, give us a call, ask a question, or maybe share one of your points of view about the book of the Revelation. Um, it's it's uh, very interesting, 21 chapters. You can make your way through it easily. Uh, and, and yet it's full of this, uh, 22 chapters, I'm sorry, full of this language, uh, a language that comes basically from the Hebrew Scriptures and uh, the imagery that we find. And uh, we're talking about the bowls, the trumpets, the seals, the scrolls, and so on. And it, uh, fundamentally, they are images of judgment. And, and it seems to be that what uh, the, the message here that John is delivering is that there are going to be these cycles. And we're going to continue the human race. If, as he looks to the future, the human race is going to be these cycles of judgment, of correction, of re- restoration, and, and, and back to worshiping God, and then, and then falling into error and falling into sin and, and so on. Then we get judged by God. These cycles of judgment on God. Well, let's God's just go people. ahead and take a look at this. Look at yes. chapter 4 with All the right. 24 elders. 24 okay? elders. And uh, Jacob has just explained that uh, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Greek word, Knesset, is yeah. Knesset, the Hebrew. It was kind of an organizational or even a political uh, uh, societal arrangement 
uh, the way the, the Hebrew people organize themselves, 12 on the inner circle, 12 the eldest, the wisest, and then you have a second circle of 24 in it, uh, who are, uh, and then you have another circle of 36 in it with three times the 12. And this was uh, this is the way leadership was built and encouraged to moving on up. Uh, were all three levels part of the Sanhedrin? No. Okay, and we see, for example, I'm I'm thinking of the Sanhedrin of Jesus' time. Uh, we mentioned that, that you, and you were mentioning to me that one well, of the members of Sanhedrin was uh, John the Baptist. Well, father, it says Zachariah. that Peter got stopped at the door. Yeah, and then the other disciple was able to go in. Why was he able to go in? Because his dad was a big shot. He was on the inner twelve. Okay, Peter, James, and John, uh, weren't they? The, were wait, they? wait, wait, no, wait, no. wait, no, I'm talking about the trial. Okay. Peter got stopped. Yes. Remember, he's standing by the fire and all that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He can't go in. But why can the other guy, John, get in? But we're not, not talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about John. No, not John the, the Baptist. Okay. No. Was his dad? Yes, his uh, dad is on the Sanhedrin. What you've got here is a dimension of a father hating to see his child led away by a rebel. So there's a family dimension here going on besides just the idea because he's trying to save his children. Uh-huh. And he thought, man, you know, no matter who this Jesus is, it's my kids. I don't want my kids involved. The Romans here and they kill people. Uh-huh. So that's how he's able to get in there. I see. And it tells us. And and so he's he was actually able there. Now, everybody talks about Peter uh, denying Jesus three times. Uh-huh. I know we're getting far afield here. But... The other guy that was there that didn't speak up for Jesus during the trial was John. He was in there during the trial. If you go back and you read it, you'll find that this is the other disciple that who laid his head on Jesus' chest was allowed to go in. Well, he said, well, how come Peter can't? But he can't because he already told us his dad is Zechariah, which means he's one of the top 12 guys. Now, but he, are you confusing Zechariah, John the Baptist's father? No, I'm His not. name was... So no, no, it's it's in the book of John. Coincidentally, his name was Zechariah as well, though, right? Well, it could, yes. I don't know if it's a coincidence. I mean, there's a whole bunch of Jesuses and Matthews. Yeah, and no, that's really a lot of Zechariahs, too. So, but, uh, so, but my point is that okay. he gets in, Peter can't. Now, Peter denied him. But that's only reason you really put emphasis on that is because Jesus predicted that mm-hmm. before he got arrested. Mm-hmm. But actually... At the scene where it's taking place, which was an illegal trial anyway, we all know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took place at night, can't do that. But what's really going on is he gets in because his dad's one okay. of the guys. Isn't that fascinating? It is, it is. So we're, uh, all of this is coming up well, because of back. the idea of 12. Now, I want to show you something. Look at the 24. Uh-huh. Chapter Look, 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, and it says, First, the voice that I heard. Like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me. See that verse in mm-hmm. verse one. I see it. Okay, mm-hmm. Now, what's that referring to? Do you know? The herb before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. Uh-huh. Well, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. Uh huh. Now wait a minute. Let's take a look. Uh huh. Where was the trumpet before? Yes, you're right. It was at Mount Sinai. Yes, when, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. When God appeared and his voice sounded like a shofar. Uh-huh. You know. Okay, 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 okay. All right. You got it. Okay. Now, by the way, there are three notes in the shofar. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so, and it says. Was that one of them? You just. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, but here it says, a trumpet speaking to me. So the trumpet of the shofar is God's voice. Uh-huh. And the seal, see, it says, look what it says. It says, first, the voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet. That's exactly what it says 
in uh, Exodus chapter 19. Mm -hmm. And then it says, come up here. Exactly what Moses did, you see. Mm -hmm. So it's telling you something. Then verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven. Just like mm -hmm. Moses, see? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. All right, now there's somebody sitting on the throne. In verse 3, he was sitting like uh, on jasper stones and sardius and the rainbows uh -huh. around, all this stuff. Then in verse 4, that's the interesting one, 4-4. Four, four. Uh -huh. Around the throne, 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments. Now, and gold crowns on their heads. Now... This is the idea that this must be part of the, what you might call the heavenly or the royal Sanhedrin. Yeah. You From see? the throne came flashes of lightning and the number of and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches <coughs> with burning flames. Mm -hmm. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. Wow! What a vision that he had. But I, I'm intrigued by that, uh, the seven uh, torches with burning flame, the sevenfold spirit of God. And this, um, well, these are, this is a vision. I, I wonder if even John, See, I, I John himself I, didn't understand a, a lot of this, we're told, uh, because part of that was that he fell on his face. You know, sometimes with this vision, it was overwhelming. Uh, and he fell before God and fainted, you know, and in the, in the, the angel picked him up and that sort of thing. But. Um, so anyway, okay, so you have, now I, I would just mention quickly that the 24 elders, uh, some of the commentary that I've read had to do with the, the there were 12 uh, tribes of Israel, so you had that 12, and then there were 12 disciples, and you had that 12, and so maybe it was an imagery of the, the 24 was the gathering together of those two revelations that we have of God, of Messiah, if the, both from the, the Hebrew the 12 uh, tribes of Israel and the 12 uh, disciples. And so that you kind of have a, a combination, maybe a little bit of a combination of the Judeo-Christian, uh, because we do worship Jehovah, the, 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 the same God, this, you know, the same scriptures and that sort of thing. So there was a kind of an idea that the 24 might signify the, the gathering, the unifying of those I two visions. I take it, I've not, I'm not familiar with that commentary, but I know there are, hundreds of these commentaries interpreting this mm -hmm, book. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking the one you're referring to as written by a Christian person. I don't know. Uh, that's uh, I don't know who I read it. I assume you're probably right. Uh, well, that only stands the reason it's over on the Christian side of the Bible. Yeah, that, yeah but I, I, I assume you're... Not many of you have been willing to, and, and that's one thing I admire, You, I, I really appreciate that you've been able to read, willing to read the New Testament and give us that perspective that's so important. That's that's the uniqueness uh, that you have. Well, let's, in, uh, to continuing us. on. Take a look okay. at chapter seven. Chapter seven. Okay. One hundred and forty-four thousand. Okay. Now we've got what we got is this picture of like a kind of like the the Israeli government, which is also a multiple of, of twelve, right? So we have twelve thousand from twelve tribes. Okay. Okay. Now, and I told you earlier. Something seems to be wrong here. I'm not the only one that's caught this. Okay. I mean, there's several people, even in the you know the Christian readers, that catch it. Now, but I want to show you something. In fact, I'm looking at a tonight. I got a, a com. Uh, I grabbed a NASB commentary. It's got the study Bible, and down at the bottom on that, it does refer to the tribe. There's one tribe missing. 
Do you know which tribe that is? Mm, let me think. It's the... No, it's not Reuben. Let me see. Who would it be? Um, uh, Joseph? Nope. No, okay. Because his sons are there. He's Manasseh. in verse 8. Uh, yeah, Manasseh. Uh, yeah, he is Joseph. Uh-huh. So he must have taken somebody's no, place. No, it's, it's Dan. Dan, okay. Dan was a tribe selected to be the judges. Ah. Oh. No, so Dan's not here. Now, here's... I want, to, I want you to notice something. Here's when I first read this. I thought, well... This is interesting. Somebody made a boo-boo. But then I had to stop and think, now, wait a minute. This was put together very carefully. Let's say by inspiration or by a scholar, whichever one you're comfortable with. Now, here's the catch. Sometimes when a word is left out, it's not left out by accident. It's left out on purpose. So that you do, but if you know the scriptures, then you'll realize something's missing, but it's been left out on purpose. For example the first chapter of Deuteronomy. It always goes like this in the Hebrew Bible. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Knowledge. Uh-huh. So, so if you know that and you read it and you realize understanding is missing in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, somebody has wisdom and they have knowledge, but they have no understanding. In fact, I might put it like this. I don't think I understand all I know about that. <laughs> Let's take a look. So Dan is missing. Now, that could be, I don't, I think they're trying to give us a message here. But I want to show you something. Look in verse 6. Mm-hmm. See the tribe of Manasseh? Yes, uh-huh. Asher, Naphtali, and Manasseh. Okay, well, let's just look at the one because I don't want to lose the audience. Okay. Um, you see the word Manasseh? Got it. Okay. Who was his brother? Oh, uh, he was uh, Joseph's other son, Manasseh. Yes, and, exactly uh, so. Dun, 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 dun. Ephraim, you got oh, it. They, they, I, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, now. Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay. okay, now let me tell you. Here's the rules. These are the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can see, you can make up any rules you want, but these are the official rules. If you're going to enter the contest, you got to use the rules to win. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Okay, now look down. you got to buy verse. a ticket if you're going to win the lottery, yeah? Right. Okay. Look at verse 8. And mm-hmm. it says, the tribe of Joseph. You see that? Yes. Now, Joseph was the father of Manasseh, right? And Ephraim. And Ephraim. How about here's the rules? This is the rules. Are you getting a smile on your face? Would you like to guess what the rule is? No, no, you go ahead. I, but I know they were, they were. Uh, who was the elder between them? E- Ephraim was the eldest, but then Manasseh was declared to be the... That's good logic you're using, but not the rule. Oh, all right, all right. Here's the, the rule. <laughs> you never, ever, ever use the word Joseph <coughs> and use the word of the, one of the two kids, Manasseh or Ephraim, at the same time. If you use the word Joseph, that means that's the two tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay. okay, I got it. Now, so but you've got the name Manasseh listed there, and then you got Joseph. Uh-huh. Well, Joseph is the two tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh-huh. So, when I first read this, I said, you know, somebody didn't know what they're writing. This is a mistake, a boo-boo. Uh, and I thought, because see, any any educated Jew would uh-huh, know that. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. if you say Joseph, you don't have to say Manasseh and Ephraim, because that's who They're makes up the tribe in, yeah. of Joseph. So his, they his two sons, yeah. Okay, but you understand. But yeah, he broke a rule here. No, somebody broke well, a rule. So, but sometimes, the you when you do something like this, 
you're doing it to, to give us a message. You want us to understand something. Uh -huh. But if you're going to use the word Joseph, you'd never use the names of the tribe Manasseh or Ephraim. Okay. But so if he, you use they put this in here instead of Dan, who is the tribe of the judges. Uh -huh. I'm kind of trying to think through. I know you are. The, uh, but it's important to get the rule. You can smell the hair burning. The rule right is, here. if I say Manasseh, I, I should never use the name Joseph. Gotcha. So that's the rule. Now you're thinking, well, that's a pretty silly rule. Well, it may be a silly rule, but that's how it works. It is a rule, yeah. Okay. So if I use the name Joseph, that means that is Manasseh and Ephraim. You got it? Yeah, I got it. So it's intentionally putting one of the children and then the tribe that includes the same child. Mm -hmm. And the one that's missing is Dan. When I first read it, I thought, you know, maybe this is an error. And I'm not the first one to notice it because even in the study Bible, this NASB, at the bottom it says, Dan is omitted. Well, the question is, and there's all kinds of commentary in, in the Christian world, why Dan's omitted. Uh, because at one time Dan, Dan got into an argument with somebody and said, we have no, no uh, part of David and his tribes. And so they'll rely on that. And in the book of the Judges, mm -hmm. isn't it the tribe of Dan that that leaves the land that they were allotted and they take that 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 priest with them and they they're wandering and they they don't they don't conquer the land and that that's they're given. what people look for to explain it uh -huh. why is dan omitted but see all those reasons do not count okay because god forgave them all mm -hmm. all the tribes have to be there if they're not there then something's wrong okay now, if I'm writing something like this, and I expect you to know what I'm saying, and if I choose to leave something out, you will, you should know that I'm trying to say something about the thing that's left out. So what was it that the message, that John, when John wrote this and sent it to these seven churches and all, uh, what were they, what did they notice? Was it something to do with the judge aspect that, that? I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we've already been presented the idea that the, the lamb here will be the judge. Is that related some way to the role of, of the Messiah? Or Well, you remember what John's it? mother asked, uh, can uh, my two boys be on your right hand? Right. And she said, oh, that's not for me to say. So somehow, and even Jesus had promised his 12 disciples, you're going to help judge Israel with me, right? Right. Uh -huh. Now, one of those people are from the tribe of Dan. So... Dan's there, so it can't be explained because of an grievous act that took place okay. somewhere in the Bible. That uh -huh. doesn't explain it. Okay. I'm going to give you an, another example. Just um, We're walking down the path grasping understanding here, mm -hmm. okay? All right. In uh, Jeremiah, and uh, when Jerusalem is destroyed, Jeremiah takes time to very tediously list all these great things that were taken. This was taken, the bowls, the gold, everything. But there's one glaring thing. Yeah, missing. and we've talked about that. When we read Jeremiah, it was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark it, is not listed. It's not missed. So mentioned, when you yeah. read it, unless you take your time and read it, you think, oh, they took all the stuff. If you walk away with that, you're missing the point. He's telling you, look how precise I am. Mm -hmm. He's telling you they didn't get that. So it was someplace else. And then Jeremiah chapter 3 says, God tells Jeremiah, hide it. Don't hide forget it, where the hiding at. place, yeah. Uh -huh. So, but the point is, so the lack of it not being there is telling us something. So Dan is definitely not here. Now, well, what does that tell us? Are you going to intrigue us forever? Or are you going to tell us? What, what does the missing uh, Dan 
And you already well, mentioned okay. that he was the tribe of the judges. Yes, Dan is basically the tribe that was give, given to be the judges. You'll find that actually in Genesis. Uh, and when Moses dies, he assigns certain roles to. So there's something going on here. Now let's let's take a look and read verse 4. And I heard the number of those that were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Mm-hmm. It's not every tribe, is it? Yeah, uh, Dan is not there. Okay. Uh, well, when I first read it, I thought, well, you know, maybe somebody didn't understand who did this, didn't understand the rules. And since so, so I can't say Joseph, and they, and they said, and they said, well, gee, we've got to have another tribe here. We'll say it's Manasseh. Well, I don't think that's right. I think that whoever wrote this was precisely understanding the rules. Well, they left Dan not on purpose. And then we've got to go back and look and see what was the role of Dan given by Moses and by Joseph at the end of Genesis. And they're basically it's a rule about being a judge. So it says every tribe, it's a every tribe that will include Dan. Mm-hmm. So there's been lots, lots of explanations as to why, because I'm certainly not the only one that's ever caught it. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of them I don't think's right, because Dan, if Dan got left out, then God's word is only 11 twelfths accurate. Because he says, all the tribes are going to have Israel, they're going to heaven, this kind of business. So if he accidentally left them out, or he didn't give it, then he broke his word. So God is only reliable 11 out of 12 times. That can't be it either. No, I will, I will agree with you there for sure. Uh-huh. So um, now let's take a look at these 24 elders. Okay. Now we're going to go back. But you are going to explain why Dan is missing. Right? No, I don't know. Oh, oh! I said you finished with that. That we're not quite sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very candid with you. I have not spent a great deal of time on this. I don't know that I could figure it out. But Dan? I know for sure that there wasn't an accidental mistake. Something was done on purpose here, hmm. and only a guy that's sophisticated enough to know what the Bible is and how you call the tribes mm-hmm. will ever catch that. When you say Joseph, you never say him. Sure. Yeah. So. Where I kind of knew that one myself too, uh, but and there, but there they are, Joseph and uh, of course Manasseh right. is there. And so, if you knew that was real, but Ephraim that is not off. there either, is he? Who? Ephraim. No, he's not. So that's in, I mean, so know, something's well, not correct. But yeah. Joseph covers both Manasseh and Ephraim. That's right. So yeah. the only time you'll find in the quote unquote Old Testament that uh, when that you're talking about both those tribes is if you use the word Joseph. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that and so we know that. So it means something, and uh, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm really not sure. Well, essentially, we got just a few minutes left about Revelation. I, a lot of people read it. There's a lot of uh, conjecture about it in times, and it certainly speaks to end times. It talks to the closing of human history when. Uh, I, I, I love this passage here that uh, w- just even following up from what we just read, uh, it says that uh, after this, the, you know, you have these, these 12 tribes. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were dot, clothed in white robes and held branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. I mean, there's always continually this vision of things being, time coming to an end, things mm-hmm. being wrapped up, and 
and and we see this image of the uh, as we've said all along i think the general theme of the scriptures is redemption god is calling out a people for himself from every nation every tribe every language and the end is that god's people uh israel i mean the, the people of god uh will be with him forever and and we see that in the book of the revelation that the closing of human history finds uh god's people uh a, after a time of judgment and and uh, satan and his angels have been cast into the lake of fire and the wicked have been judged but god's people then are with him forever in the new jerusalem in in heaven together with god and we see this tree the tree of uh the tree of life uh-huh. appears where once do you more. get the t- and you get it in chapter 22 the last chapter. The last chapter. In other words, it completes what Jews understand this whole thing to be about, mm-hmm. a cycle. Mm-hmm. What you lost in the beginning, you're getting back at the end. And where is it at? It's in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. The tree of life, which was lost, we see uh, in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, we'll be reading it this coming week, we see that after man fell into sin, Adam and Eve, then that they were uh, taken out. Access to the tree of life was denied to them. The, that they would not uh, eat of the tree and live forever in the state of sin, I guess is what it means, but we'll look at that next week. But then now we see that tree of life reappearing. Let's go quickly. I, I, I've got to do this. Lee has just Lee. called in here at the now, last. What line, what line is Lee on? And I want to bring him up and get his comment. Lee, be a part of the program. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? Very well. Thank you. Okay. I just wanted to... Um, uh, make a comment, and particularly refer us to Revelation chapter 9. If you notice that there's a lot of tribulation, a lot of judgment going on, but the unfortunate thing is the last two verses where God completely eliminates any of man's excuses and proves without question our true depravity. Uh, can I read those two verses real quick? Please, yes. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their threats. So here we have a situation where they see... God's clear judgment. Yeah. They are so depraved and we are so need of a Savior that they refuse to repent and, and go to their end. Yes. So when they stand before the judgment, they have no excuse. Absolutely no excuse. And it shows a fallacy of humanism, humanism and this, oh, man is basically good philosophy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is a willful rejection. Thank you very much, Lee. There's our music. You're welcome. God bless you. That's a good note to end on. That is a willful rejection of the authority, the goodness, the righteousness of God. And, um, of course, that is the basis of God's judgment. He knows the hearts of men. Jacob, as we go out tonight, remind us. Okay. Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Thanks for joining us, folks. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. 
Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.